Good morning, church family. Um, this was a tough week. This was a tough week. Uh, I've heard um, during this pandemic that a lot of folks couldn't wait to get back to normal. And I think I've alluded to this before, but I don't, I don't really want to get back to normal. Because we live in a country where being treated differently because of the color of your skin is tragically and painfully normal for millions of Americans. I, I don't want to get back to normal because whether it's dealing with the healthcare system or the criminal justice system or just jogging down the street or just watching birds in the park, we live in a country where it's normal for the sanctity and the value of black and brown lives is called into question by the very fabric of our society and our systems and our institutions continue to reinforce this every single day. This is the reason why we take time to mourn and grieve and lament the deaths of our black brothers and sisters at the hands of law enforcement. And the reason why we stand up and declare that black lives matter. I'm angry this morning. Like relentless waves, the news keeps crashing. Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd. Each one an image bearer of God. Each one beautifully woven by their maker and bestowed with brown skin. Each one senselessly killed. These three people, three deaths, three situations point to a larger argument with broad implications. It is this. It is godly to get angry. Let me say that again. It is godly to get angry. Now, please hear me. This is important. I am not in any way dismissing references in Scripture that calls us to repent of what the Scripture calls sinful expressions of anger. I'll be the first one to admit that I have to repent of that sin regularly. By God's grace, I pray that I continue to put such sin to death. There is most certainly ungodly anger in all of our hearts that requires ongoing repentance. But there's another kind of anger that Scripture calls righteous anger. Anger against sin and evil and injustice that is rooted in love. In love for what is good and what is just. And I worry that times like this we fail to embrace this Christian virtue because we view all anger as rooted in sin when it's actually rooted in our image bearing of a righteous God. And sin has distorted it. You see, God who never sins gets angry because he is love. And we are called to be like him. Let me say that again. God, who never sins, gets angry because he is love and we are called to be like him. God hates injustice. God hates racism, oppression, abuse, and corruption. 
And as people made in his image and redeemed to be like him, we are called to hate the things that our God hates. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Paul says, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Now, it is powerful to me that the first instruction to demonstrate genuine love is to hate that which is evil. It is ungodly church family to be apathetic. The opposite of love isn't hate, it is indifference. It is unloving to be indifferent. It is unloving to not be angry in the face of evil. Mere sympathy towards the oppressed isn't enough. If I found out that one of my children had been molested and I would be filled with intense grief and anger and it would be a righteous response. If I wasn't angry at that, you would rightly question the depth of my love for my children. In the same way, when we see news of brutality, evil, and injustice, and we don't feel angry, we should probably question the depth of our love. For eight minutes and 45 seconds. For eight minutes and 45 seconds. Derek Chauvin drove his knees into the neck of George Floyd. As life drained out of his body. And if that doesn't get you angry, then yes, you absolutely should question the death of your love for your fellow black brothers and sisters. And please don't confuse biblical godly anger with outrage culture. Godly anger doesn't mirror outrage culture where crowds fume for a few seconds and then move on with their unaffected lives until a new headline grabs their attention. That is neither Christian nor loving. Godly anger elicits a godly response. When we see evil and injustice, the anger we feel should drive us to action. Godly anger fuels the pursuit of biblical justice. Godly anger rouses a rightful response to abusers. Godly anger calls corruption to account. Desmond Tutu once said that if you are neutral, in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. Please don't be a passive observer. What evil has gone unabated because of our passivity? Because we've chosen superficial peace over godly anger, which is easy to do when evil at hand doesn't affect us. Refusing to get our hands dirty in the messy pursuit of justice only ends up staining them with guilt. Please get on your knees and pray that God would change our callous hearts. Plead with God to kindle godly anger in our hearts. 
in a world wrought with races and oppression, the heat of angry love will inflame our resolve to keep contending for justice. What do we do? Where do we start? Though tangible steps are not always immediately clear, we could always start with prayer. And please hear me. I'm not talking about some perfunctory, insincere, safe prayers offered in vain by those who can pray nice prayers perched atop their safe, comfortable lives. No, I am talking about the kinds of prayers foreign to people of privilege, but prayers that have given hope to those who know the pain of injustice, the pain of evil, and the pain of oppression. I love the fact that in the book of Psalms, there aren't just prayers for the oppressed to be delivered, but there are prayers for the oppressors to be judged. These prayers remind us that there is a perfect judge who will administer perfect justice someday so we can cry out to him for justice, for deliverance against evil and corrupt systems as well as those who perpetuate them. Psalm, 20, Psalm 72, verse 4, the psalmist declares, He will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy. And yes, he will break in pieces the oppressor. God invites the godly to pray, Lord, bring justice to the poor of the people. Lord, save the children of the needy. And yes, Lord, break in pieces the oppressor. Psalm 94, 1. O Lord, the God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, let your glorious justice shine forth. Arise, O judge of the earth, and give the proud what they deserve. Crying out for justice, for the vindication of the innocent, and the punishment of the unjust and guilty is as important now as it was then. It is okay, no more than that, it is right for people of faith to cry out in this time and ask that our God bring justice swiftly and thoroughly now, even as we wait for his return to make all things right. When we also offer prayers of lament, we mourn, we grieve, and lament over the evil, the pain, the suffering, and all the injustices of the world. Habakkuk's words all of a sudden take on a new meaning, don't they? Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 2. How long, Lord, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. As we lament, we don't turn away. As we lament, we don't gloss over the pain and the injustice and the suffering. As Paul says in Romans 8, along with all of creation, we too groan for the day of redemption. 
And as we do, it is perfectly right for us to get in God's face and say, God, I'm angry. God, I'm hurting. God, I'm confused. God, I don't know what to feel or how to feel it. It is perfectly right for us to just sit and feel the brokenness of our world as we cry out to God. And brothers and sisters, as you do, Remember that in Jesus, you have someone who truly understands what you are going through, what you are feeling right now. He knows the sting of injustice. He knows the pain of evil. And most importantly, you have in Jesus a God who did something about it, a God who willingly becomes embroiled in suffering, in the pain, and in the injustice, so that someday he could end the suffering, he could end the pain, and he could end the injustice without ending us. God who sees your tears and promises that one day he will come and wipe every single tear from our eyes. I want to say a word to all my non-black brothers and sisters who are asking, what can I do? What can I do? I want you to start here. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice, and yes, mourn with those who mourn. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26. If one part suffers, then every part suffers with it. In this kingdom community, we care about what happens to the other members of the body because when one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. I'm well aware that we are all over the map when it comes to issues of racial justice and racial reconciliation. There are many of you who are just beginning this journey and you don't understand why we would take an entire Sunday to do this. One simple answer is this. Because of George Floyd and what continues to happen all over this country, our very own black brothers and sisters are hurting. They're in pain, they're angry, and they're in deep mourning. And the way of Jesus is that you mourn with them, that you suffer with them, and that you sit with them in their pain and confusion and anger. When you care about the people, you will eventually care about the situations that they're in. And when you listen to your black brothers and sisters, here's what you will begin to realize. You'll realize that what happened to George Floyd is not an isolated incident. Unjust systems and institutions have been woven into the very fabric of this country from its very inception. You'll realize that George Floyd's death is simply the product of a racist and unjust system that's been terrorizing black communities for centuries through lynchings and murders. And the message that our black brothers and sisters have heard from our society is that their lives don't matter. That's why we must courageously speak into the world around us and declare that black lives matter, that they have value, and that they have dignity. 
and that we will do everything to ensure that the larger society values our black and brothers' lives and that institutions within our society will not mistreat them in any way because of their race. And as we end, I want to remind you and me Please hear me. I want to remind you and me that we have to look to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as our ultimate hope. There is no other hope. There is no other hope. Jesus is our hope. The cross is our hope. If you're buckling under the pain of injustice, remember that in the darkest hours of history, when it seemed like evil had triumphed, Christ's suffering won redemption and vanquished evil. Christ's victory ensures us that justice will prevail and God will make all things right. We don't have to wish for that. Jesus made sure of that through his death and resurrection. If you are fearful, find hope in your victorious king. If you are guilty, complacent towards evil or complicit in it, Please turn to Christ for forgiveness. While we have breath, it is never too late to repent and receive his mercy. Your pastor is angry. And in times like this, the only hope that I have is the gospel. The gospel is the only thing I can hang on to when the systems of this world continually fails those that I love again and again and again and again. In a moment, you will hear from Dr. Steve Sims, Sister Andrina Logan, and our brother Tim White. I've asked these three dear brothers and sisters to share with you, church family, what it is that they are experiencing and feeling so that you and I might humbly listen, listen to their pain, to their anger and their hopes in the midst of this.